Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. Today we continue our series called Codes for a Healthy Earth, Cultivating Peace with All of Life. We are talking with global leaders discussing personal cultural and planetary health and how that health can essentially create peace for all life on earth. Hundreds of millions of people and millions of groups around the world are working on countless regenerative and compassionate solutions for all of our global crises. And throughout this vast and diverse global movement, there's a growing recognition that we already have the knowledge, skills, ideas, technologies, and resources, as well as the wise service-based leadership to effectively address all of our escalating crises. Citizens of Earth are uniting around a whole system healing framework that effectively supports citizen-led self-organization at the local and global levels to realize our shared needs and aspirations for a healthy earth. And it's so excited to, it's exciting to bring this new conversation to you today as we talk, we continue to talk about the codes for a healthy earth. And I'm going to bring you the founder of Climate Healers. I can't wait to have this conversation, but first I invite you to take a few conscious breaths, open your mind and heart, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. Silish Rao is the founder and executive director of Climate Healers, a nonprofit dedicated toward healing the Earth's climate as a systems specialist with a Ph.D. in electrical engineering from Stanford, Silish worked on the Internet communications infrastructure for 20 years after graduation. Yes, you heard me right. He really worked in the early years of the Internet. Maybe he can tell us a little bit about that. In 2006, he switched careers and became deeply immersed full-time in the spiritual and environmental crisis affecting humanity. He is the author of Carbon Dharma and Carbon Yoga, and he is also the co-executive producer of the trilogy of documentaries, The Human Experiment, Cowspiracy, and the, sustainable, the Sustainability Secret, and What the Health, which explores systemic causes of human and environmental ill health. And also the documentary, The Compassion Project. There's so many more things I want to tell you about Silish. His bio is so immense with incredible service to humanity in so many different ways. I am so honored to bring him to you so that you can hear his voice. Welcome, Silish. Thank you so much, Julie. Thank you for Thank that introduction. You. Oh, you're welcome. I had to literally kind of pare that down a little bit. And and I want to encourage our listeners to really go to your website, 
go check out climatehealers.org and learn so much more about the beautiful work that Silish is doing here. And I know we're going to talk about it, one of my first questions. But first, let's really ground our conversation today in the wider whole worldview. If you can, Silish, I'd love to hear you to answer. You answered this before on my show. You've been a guest a couple of years ago. So could you answer again in today's consciousness with where you're at? Can you share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you? All things connected means that there is no separation. There has never been separation. Separation is a delusion. And this really is also the principle of yoga. Yoga is about removing that delusion of separation. So we have to realize that we are part of something much, much bigger than us. And we have been deployed at doing something that the the larger ecosystem really wanted. So I use the analogy of Michelangelo, you know, as he sculpts David. And when he finishes sculpting David, if if everyone comes and yells at him for all the mess he has created with the pieces of marble that's on the floor, what have you done? You are going to miss the David. And also, you cannot expect Michelangelo to clean up the mess that's on the floor using a hammer and a chisel that he used for sculpting David. He has to use the bucket and a shovel. So we have done something absolutely amazing as a species. We have actually prevented the Earth from going back into another ice age. So we heated up the Earth over the last 10,000 years and kept the temperature constant And then over the last 200 years, we have increased the temperature by about another one degree Celsius. And in the process, we have pumped a whole lot of fossil fuel-based carbon into the atmosphere. So we are now ready to bring back the forests that we destroyed in the first 10,000 years, and therefore reverse climate change and heal the climate and cool down the earth at the same time, the fossil fuel carbon will prevent us from going back to another ice age again. So we have done something absolutely amazing, and it is going to be a beautiful world that we create when uh, we get out of this phase and move into our next phase. Mm. Silas, that really was incredible. I have goosebumps hearing you say that this is really a beautiful thing. And one of the things I appreciate about you most, I'd I'd love to hear you talk about um, your perspective here. You're the founder of Climate Healers and you've, you, you really have a beautiful mission and vision for this healthy world that we're going we're gonna to talk about the codes here in a minute. I want to give you an opportunity to talk about Climate Healers, but one of the things I appreciate most when I listen to you and I've had conversations with you personally, we, we were up at Toronto about a year ago even, and, and when I hear you talk about our human capacity to be the thermostat on the planet, it's really exciting because it's one of those paradigm shifters that helps us go, oh, it's not just a bad thing. It's, it's a new, it's kind of like a new superpower that we have. Let's all get on board and let's, let's work with this capacity to be a thermostat on the planet. And you just started that conversation. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah. um, You know, when I first started working on the environment, you know, I, I got pretty depressed because I thought you were, 
because I was, I was only looking at the mess we have made. Yeah. Right. And we have made a huge mess. Right. So, and if you project that mess out and say, if we keep doing what we're doing, how long do we have? And we really don't have much time. Right. We continue doing what we're doing. So I was very depressed. And then um, I, uh, uh, in 2010, our granddaughter was born. And I went to see her for the first time when she was a month old. Um, and you know, my granddaughter is half Indian and one quarter African-American and one quarter Native American or American Indian. So when I held her, I felt as if I was holding all of humanity in my arms because I could see all three continents in her, you know? And, and I had this sense of perfection that she was perfect exactly as she is and we all, so then she must belong exactly as she is. So, and that means that we all must belong exactly as we are. And therefore, we, I'm not looking at it right. I have to look at it differently. So I spent the next six years um, just studying this and figuring out what is this new story that we can tell. And that was the origin of the thermostat species um, hypothesis. Now, it's based on a scientific work that Professor Bill Rudderman has done at the University of Virginia. He calls it the early Anthropocene theory. And he points out, you know, based on just scientific data, how uh, humans had impacted the Earth's climate 6,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago, how we kept it constant, even though the Earth wanted to go back to another ice age. So we kept the temperature constant. So that's what a thermostat does, right? So when you put a setting, the thermostat keeps it at that setting. And so it's an engineering project, right? That's what we have been involved in. Uh, and to me, civilization is an engineering project. And, but so far, we have been doing this engineering unconsciously. And now we are being uh, woken up and told to do the engineering project consciously. So we have to become a conscious thermostat species. Because we know that if we continue burning fossil fuels at the same rate, continue destroying the Amazon forest, continue burning it for just raising more beef and dairy, uh, we're going to be in big trouble. So, so we are being told to wake up and become a conscious thermostat species. And only then can we start cooling the planet. Because so far, everything that we have done, we have developed all the technologies we need to heat up the planet. And we have organized ourselves very well to heat up the planet. And that's because our entire civilization is organized on a lot of marketing and lies. You know, um, We say all men are created equal, and then we implement a a completely unequal society, the most unequal society you could have imagined, right? <laughs> so, because that's, that's what happens when you do engineering based on lies. Engineering has to be based on the truth and science. Otherwise, the engineering project will blow up in our faces. Just like the space, the space shuttle Challenger did, right? The engineer told them, don't launch, because I know that the um, O-ring cannot withstand the heat. But the public relations department of NASA said, no, go ahead and launch because we will, we will lose face if we don't launch. So when public relations overrode engineering, we had a disaster. But today, in our, our entire civilization is an engineering project that's based on public relations and marketing and lies. So we have been called through the codes where I held the earth, I think that will be a great foundational document 
for this next phase of our uh, civilization, where you know we're being called to implement um, a an engineering project for our next phase of our civilization that's based on science and the truth. I appreciate so much how you address this as an engineering project. Like here we are, and it's not like you know, so many of, of the voices right now are that doomsday, that alarm bells going off the, you know, it's like from my perspective as a healer, Silish, when, when I hear a lot of the voices of, of, about climate change on the planet, they incite so much fear and anxiety that it literally shuts down the system's ability to respond and to heal. And so, you know, we're going to talk about healing, and health, healthy earth, but with your scientific background and being an engineer, it's really refreshing to just think about this as an engineering project. Like, okay, here we go. We're going to, we have the data and now we know we can respond. Let's re-engineer the, the future here and, and create a project that really can be sustainable and healthy. Absolutely. It is an engineering project. And I mean, see, uh, what happened to me was, um, I mean, I was looking at all this data and getting more depressed, actually recently as well, I was getting depressed at how fast we are killing animals. Mm. So we are killing animals at such a fast pace that we are on track to wipe out most wild animals by 2026. So I did that calculation in 2014 based on um, the World Wildlife Fund's uh, Living Planet Report. Um, because they said that 52% of all wild um, vertebrates had been uh, had been destroyed between 1970 and 2010 in just 40 years. So I did an you know I I did my uh, extrapolation assuming that it's an exponential process because you know the rate at which we're killing wild animals is proportional to the size of our economy. And so if it's an exponential process, I said so how many more years do we have left? And I came up with 16. And I was really um, um, flabbergasted, you know? Why isn't anybody doing anything about this? By 2026, we are all on track to wipe out almost all the forests on the planet. So then I thought, you know, no one's doing anything about it. Maybe my model is too simple. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so I thought maybe I'll, I'll wait till the next report. And I did. So in 2016, the next report came out in, uh, by the World Wildlife Fund. And they said that between 1970 and 2012, 58% of all wild animals had been destroyed. Mm. So I realized, you know, that's my calculations are correct. This is the way it's going. And besides, this is from 1970 onwards. Between 10,000 years ago and 1970, we had already wiped out 60% of the wild animals. So it's on top of that, right? So in effect, we have wiped out about 85% of all the wild animals. By um, from pristine levels by 2012. So I was very depressed about that, and I was saying, "What can I do? What can I do about this?" And then I was uh, reading a story to my granddaughter in bed, trying to put her to sleep. And at the end of the story, she um, put her head on my shoulder and she said, "Grandpa, can you tell me who are the first human beings?" Now. This is a very profound question. Hmm. So I said, okay, Kimai, I'm going to explain to you the theory of evolution. 
because um, yeah, I promised her that I will never tell her lies. Okay, so, I, so I tried to explain to her the theory of evolution. So I said, imagine that you're standing on the street and you're holding your mom by your hand. And you ask your mom to bring her mom and stand by her side. And you, so you create a long line of mothers on this side of the street. And then on the other side of the street, you ask a chimpanzee to do the same thing with her mother and her grandmother and so on. You create a long line of chimpanzee mothers. By the time these two lines go from Phoenix to Tucson, they would merge. There'll be only one single line because both lines are going to say, that's my mother too. Mm. So immediately she sat up in bed and she said, what? Are you telling me that animals are my family? And, you know, this is a six-year-old girl, okay? <laughs> and wow. and I, I, didn't, I hadn't seen it from her perspective. And I said, now that you put it that way, yeah, you're right. They are your family. She said, what? And why are people eating my family? And then she started bawling. She said, Grandpa, make them stop. They're eating my family. Don't you see? And so she started naming names. You know, so-and-so is eating my family. So-and-so is eating my family. <laughs> mm. And I didn't know what to do. I said, Kimaya, please stop. This is what I've been trying to do for the last 10 years. I've been trying to get people to stop. She said, this is what you've been doing? I said, yeah, this is my job. I said, this is your job? She says, do you know you haven't done your job? <laughs> when will you do your job? Tell me, when will you do your job? And so the number 2026 was already in my head. I said, we have to do it by 2026. Otherwise, we are all in big trouble. And she said, promise. Promise that the world will be vegan by the time I'm, 20, by the time I'm 16 years old. And I said, I promise you that. So she said, can you give me a pinky promise? And I said, sure, I'll give you a pinky promise. So we did that. And she said, you can never break a pinky promise. And then he went, she went to sleep. So the next morning, you know, she goes, uh, she goes to school. And then she, I think she tells everybody about this promise that grandpa has made. <laughs> and, and I think her mother told her, what the, how could you get grandpa to promise something like that? Do you know how hard it is? You get people to go vegan. So, so she comes to me that evening and she says, I hear that, uh, Grandpa, I hear that you have a tough job. <laughs> so, you know, the promise you made to me yesterday, you don't have to do it by the time I'm 16. You can do it by the time I'm 17. So she gave me one extra year. <laughs> but, but I told her, no, I'm going to shoot for 16. So by the time you're 16, I, you want to create a vegan world. Because to me, it's, this is not so complicated, okay? Because as a species, we have to come together to heal the planet. And so the first thing we need to do if we, if we have to heal the planet is to stop killing animals unnecessarily. This is not complicated to explain to people. The, the planet is dying because we are killing the planet. The planet is dying because we are killing animals on the planet, and we are killing them unnecessarily. We are killing them for our food, for our clothing, and things like that, but we really don't need to anymore. We know how to eat without eat, killing animals. We know how to eat, wear clothes without killing animals. So we know how to do everything you know, in a plant-based 
um, and economy. So we really don't have to kill animals anymore. And when we stop killing animals, we, we reduce our ecological footprint by an order of magnitude, at least a factor of four. And you become healthier, you become happier, because you come home to who we really are. You see, if I ask anyone, would you deliberately hurt an innocent animal unnecessarily? They all say, no, of course not. And I tell them, you're vegan. That's the definition of veganism. But for most of us, who we are and what we do are not in alignment. Because we are bought into the cultural narrative that is necessary. So when we realize it is really not necessary, we can come home to who we are. So that's what is happening now. You know, it's all of, all of us as a species are waking up and saying, hey, I can come home to who I am and, and still take care of myself and take care of my family and take care of everyone around me and heal the earth in the process. So that's when we started the Vegan World 2026 project uh, two years ago. At first, I didn't know what to do. I thought, who am I to do this? Yeah. And then the more I looked into it, I realized it's an engineering project. <laughs> and if it's an engineering project, I am the right person to even start, <laughs> right? Because I see it uh, in everywhere, you know, it is basically we are saying, okay, how do we clothe ourselves? How do we feed ourselves? How do we transport ourselves? How do we do our, uh, our, our contribution? How we make our contribution to the planet? It's a how, it's a question of how, right? That's the only question that we are answering. And all of those questions, engineers answer. It's an engine, how is an engineering question? It's not a cultural question, it's not a scientific question, it's an engineering question. So we have to put together these processes and put them in place and say, this is how you do it. This is how you can govern yourself to take care of ecosystems. This is how you can you know, um, procure your food. This is how you can do the transportation. And do it in a way that you're not hurting the planet as you, as you fulfill your responsibilities. That's beautiful, Silas. And when I'm listening to you, I I do hear the scientist, the engineer coming through, and I'm also hearing that cultural, spiritual um, essence that comes through as well. When you're talking about climate healers, there is the science of the fossil fuels and what have you. And yet, when you're talking about coming back home to who we really are and living really in alignment with our truest selves, the the essence of that cultural and spiritual comes through. And I, I really appreciate hearing that piece come forward in your voice and in your mission on the planet, because as the thermostats for the planet now, um, we are all of that. We are, we are cultural, we are spiritual, we are whole beings um, in service of this greater whole. So that's an important piece. We need to take a break. I think this is a good place to take that break. Um, and then I'd love to expand this conversation into the Codes for a Healthy Earth because you're an integral part of that conversation as well. So we are here talking with Silas Rao founder of Climate Healers, and I love the name of that, don't you? Just to know that we're climate healers on the planet is an important role that we all play, each and every one of us. So we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we'll have so much more on what you can do to be a climate healer. We'll be right back. 
You're listening to Empower Radio, an entire radio station devoted to your personal development, expanding your conscious awareness, and empowering positive change. Meet our hosts and listen online at EmpowerRadio.com, on iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher Radio, or iTunes, or download the Empower Radio app for your smartphone or tablet. It's free in the App Store, and it lets you listen to our shows and podcasts on demand. Empowering people, empowering change. Empower Radio, online at EmpowerRadio.com. Wildfires burn millions of acres across the country each year. And each year, wildland firefighters battle to contain them. But they can't do it alone. For some communities, it's not a question of if wildfires strike, but when. And a single ember can travel more than one mile. As it twists and turns and floats through the air, that single ember can find its way to where you live and can ignite and destroy your home or your community. That single ember can be just as dangerous as the wildfire itself. You can't control where the ember will land, but you can control what happens when it does. You can take action now to prepare your home and your community for wildfire. Get fire adapted. Learn what you can do now to reduce wildfire damage later at fireadapted.org. Prepare, protect, prevail. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Learn more at fireadapted.org. Peekaboo. Peekaboo. Smile. Smile, buddy. Come on. Smile. Oh, honey, he's still not smiling. Maybe he's not a smiler. <sighs> yeah. Maybe he's just not a happy baby. Maybe he's just being a boy. You know how boys are. Or maybe he's teething. Oh, poor baby. I think his gums hurt. Maybe he's just tired. Or maybe his tummy hurts. He didn't eat that much. Maybe he's not ticklish. You think maybe he's scared of the dog? Maybe he'll outgrow it. Maybe it's a phase. Maybe he just doesn't like smiling. Maybe he has autism. And we can definitely do something to help. Maybe is all you need to find out more about autism. No big, joyful smiles by six months is one early sign. Learn the others at AutismSpeaks.org slash signs or see a doctor today for an autism screening. The sooner it's diagnosed, the better. And it can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. I'm a volunteer at United Way. I'm asking people around the neighborhood what they think this place needs. Wi-Fi everywhere. More playgrounds. More ice cream trucks. I was thinking more money in the pockets of local families come tax time. Can I change my answer? I was just kidding about the ice cream. When it comes to getting better tax refunds into the hands of local families, what this place needs is you. To donate or volunteer, go to unitedway.org. Because great things happen when we live united. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. You found Empower Radio. It's like sunshine for your soul. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and perhaps even listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com, where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also, stay connected all week on my Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. 
look for more information now. I'm going to inspire you to do a little homework here. Go to codes.earth and look for more information on the Codes for a Healthy Earth in the weeks to come here. The codes not only inspire and cultivate peace with all of life, they have a unique potential to contribute significantly to our collective pathway forward. And so may they support the growing global movement of citizens uniting in service of a thriving world for all of life. We're going to continue that conversation. I'm here today with Silas Rao. You can find out more about Silas and all of his good work with Climate Healer. Healers, Climate Healers at climatehealers.org. And I want to begin this half of the conversation by just reading you three brief statements that come with the declaration. We are going to turn our attention toward climate healers or from climate healers here and Silas's role in um, really supporting the codes for a healthy earth. And the declaration of the codes says, we citizens of earth unite in love and concern for our planetary home and all its inhabitants. We come together as one humanity across national, cultural, and ideological boundaries to restore the well-being of all life on Earth. We recognize that our personal, collective, and planetary health are all interconnected and interdependent. For humanity to thrive, the entire planetary ecosystem must thrive. And we affirm that the only legitimate purpose of governance is to protect and cultivate the health and vitality of the planet and all its inhabitants for generations to come. So, Silas, you, as a leader and as the founder of Climate Healers, you have, um, you know, the co-initiator. Uh, uh, Shelly Ostroff, as well as I do, and, and you've been called in to help with this beautiful initiative called the Codes for a Healthy Earth. Why don't you begin a little bit about just telling us what is, how do you feel about the Codes for a Healthy Earth when you hear me recite the declaration there, and we're going to get into more specificity here, but give me your overall impression. What is the Codes for a Healthy Earth and what do they mean to you? The codes for a healthy earth inspires me. It inspires me. It's like it's a foundation for everything we are working on. It's a foundational light, so to speak, and say so we can measure every everything that we do against that and see did we meet the codes. So that's the way we are going to use it when we are working on our engineering project, which is the Vegan, Vegan World 2026 project. So I see it as um, as a guiding light for all of our work, and I'm so grateful to Shelley and uh, Shelley Ostroff and Jan Golding for initiating that, and for and I'm humbled that I was part of it. Mm. Yeah, I am the same, Silas. They're really a beautiful unifying principle. The codes for healthy Earth is is I see it as this beautiful, concise aggregate of so many of the declarations, charters, manifestos, creeds that are already out there. And and with that, we know there's this wisdom and these solutions that if implemented 
could really ensure the health and vitality of the planet and all of its inhabitants for generations to come. And so with these codes moving forward, I, I really appreciate you saying we're going to align our next engineering projects to these codes. I think that's a, that's a beautiful way for all of us. It's an inspiring way to say, you know what, we all can align with these codes. What else do you see as the value and significance at, at, of the codes at this time on our planet when we're talking about our collective consciousness? How, does, how do the codes, beyond inspiring you, really look toward a global blueprint or map or it is almost like a treasure map for us moving forward in our collective consciousness at this time? Yeah, so to me, it, is, it has the same significance as, say, the Declaration of Independence did for the United States back in mm-hmm. 1776. This is, this is like a declaration for all of, all of humanity. We have to come together as one humanity, as a species, to take care of our planet and to take care of all the other earthlings on this planet. Because we have the power to destroy them, we have, but we also have the power to heal them, to heal the planet. We have both powers within us. So it's how do we deploy our powers, right? So that's really what this course is about. The codes kind of show us the pathway forward. It just distills everything together in one simple document. Yeah. It's not, not that complicated, you know? It's very easy for people to understand. One of the things that I think is is very easy for people to understand. Another thing I really love is that the codes offer really a foundational whole system framework that supports citizens in working together across national, cultural, and ideological boundaries for radical system transformation. And the codes, really their capacity to bring people together around this poignant purpose that transcends the boundaries. Like literally, we all can agree that we need health and the health of the planet and the biosphere and all of life is interdependent with my health. So can you speak to the the crossing boundaries and and cultures and, and yeah, all that ideology? I think um, that's an important piece of this. Absolutely. It doesn't exclude anyone, you know, because basically what we are saying is that just like the Michelangelo um, analogy I used, we were doing something that was useful for the planet all along. Okay? And we were playing our own. Each one of us is playing a role in that. So now we are saying, okay, we are done with that role. We are done being a sculptor. And now we have to clean up and then we can enjoy the David we have created. Right? We, can, we can appreciate the David we have created because we have done something absolutely amazing as a species. So this is like you know the, the elephant. Um, if you look at an elephant in a forest, you think the elephant is being destructive because she's going around breaking branches of trees, eating the leaves and throwing the branches away. She's trampling on the bushes and killing them. So you think, my God, the elephant is such a destructive animal in the forest. And then when you step back and you observe, you realize that wherever the elephant has broken branches of trees, that's where the sunlight streams and nourishes the underbrush. Because without the elephant, the tree canopy would be so thick that the underbrush would die for lack of sunlight. 
And wherever the elephant trampled and killed the bushes, that's where new pathways are formed in the forest. And that's, those are the pathways that the other animals use. Without the, element, without the elephant, there is no pathway in the forest, right? And wherever she dropped her huge mounds of poop, that's where you get new jackfruit trees. Because the, the poop, her poop contains these jackfruit seeds that she, from a jackfruit that she ate like, you know, 200 miles away. And she walked 200 miles and dropped the, the, the poop there, right? So you see an elephant is now, um, you, you see, you appreciate the role of the elephant in the ecosystem. And you realize that every animal, every species has that role in the ecosystem. And this is why the ecosystem flourishes, because of these animals. And similarly, we are also an animal. We are also part of this ecosystem, and we have a role. And our role was to prevent the Earth from ever having to undergo an ice age again. And so we have accomplished that goal. So we have created the thermostat for the planet. And now we are going around saying, oh, my God, we've made a huge mess. And so we're going to kill ourselves off. And it's, what are we doing? <laughs> you know, we need to wake up and realize that, no, we are in a new phase. And so we are done with that phase. And we are now getting to this other phase. And for that, we need the codes as the foundation for our transition to the new phase. That's beautiful. Your optimism is so inspiring. And I really appreciate us, the ability for all of us listening to just go, oh, okay, we did do that. We, wow. And I love the, the example of the Michelangelo. So knowing that, wow, we prevented another ice age here we are now we have the power to destroy or the power to create and we can use that for the good and then really i want to presence what you said is that the codes are just as significant as the declaration of independence that in your in your work and in your vision of these, they are just as significant as the Declaration of Independence was that now we have these codes and go online, codes.earth and read through them. It's very significant. It's very simple. It's very, um, they're complex in their simplicity. I don't want to diminish the, like literally the amount of energy that's gone into every single word that is there you know that as well as i i don't want to i don't want to diminish that for our listeners every word is perfectly thought through and placed within the whole document however when you say the significance of that it really does create this platform for everyone so i the, i guess the next topic that i'd really love to hear you speak to silish is that the codes are a beautiful invitation for us to do self-organizing that literally, whether you're in healthcare, whether you're in um, finance or business and education or science, no matter what sector of the world that you're serving in your, with your gifts and your talents, you can pick up these codes and organize your work around what we're saying here. It, can you speak to the self-organizing? I think that's the most brilliant part of the codes ever is that it just invites us to pick them up and use them. 
Yeah, though I do have, uh, I have to put a caveat there. Okay, it is true. This it it is an invitation for self-organization. It's an, it does have the um, can inspire people to think afresh, right? But simultaneously, right now we are uh, we are we have organized our society uh, for heating up the earth. We are very well organized for heating up the earth. We are really good at it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so we do that by playing a game. And the game we play is the game of money. And so the way we, uh, we create money and the way we distribute money fundamentally uh, orients us towards the heating of the earth. So, so, the, so that game itself uh, is causing us to destroy the planet. The game itself is causing speciesism colonialism, racism, patriarchy, all of that is built into the game. Because it's a game based on, um, it's called fractional reserve um, money system. So it's a game based on a borrower and a lender framework. And so it, the, the, every, uh, say, player in the game has this role of either being a borrower or a lender and so you and the the relationship between a borrower and a lender is a relationship of domination, because the lender dominates over the borrower. The lender can say, "Give me back the money I gave you," <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Or if you don't, I'm going to take away your collateral. So it's a very dominant relationship, right? And so the lender has the power to get the police to come and help them get the collateral from the borrower, right? And this is how we have created our society, and this is the game we are playing right now. And because this game is based on domination, um, it is fundamentally about heating the earth. So I say that we have to understand the origins of, of how we are doing it, and then we have to figure out a new game. So we have to figure out a game in which we automatically play that game, all of us play that game, and we automatically start cooling the planet. We see automatically start healing the planet. So there, there is a lot of work to be done you know, over and above the codes, to actually put the codes to me is like a skeleton, and we have to put everything around it. So you have to, the skeleton itself is not alive, so you have to put you know uh, organs around it. You have to put the muscle around it, and you have to make it something that is um, alive that people that we can hand over to our children and say, this is your responsibility from now on, you know, to maintain this and to um, make sure it's healthy. So, Beautiful. Thank you for presencing that because um, I did make it sound very simple to say, pick it up and go self-organize. And the thing that we know is one of our greatest challenges is bringing all of our work together in a synergistic way to really work toward that common goal. And so I appreciate you bringing in the economics of really heating up the earth here because we we got really, really, really good at that game, didn't we? Right. But at the same time, you know, we are we have been very wasteful in that game. And yeah. this is this to me is why the vegan movement is so important as the foundation of the new game. Because the vegan movement, um, anyone who has gone vegan will tell you that they feel better that they feel more spiritually aligned with who they are and they feel healthier. So it's, it's one of those things that um, 
make you realize that you can reduce your footprint on the earth by an order of magnitude and actually feel better. <laughs> you know? <laughs> And then you say, well, if I can do that for my clothing and my uh, and my food, can I not do that with everything else, right? So it's one of those things that make you realize that maybe there's a lot of waste in the current economy that when we start uh, living in a way that is um, more in alignment to the earth and we reorganize ourselves not to waste so much, then we can probably actually live much more prosperous lives than we are doing today. You know, healthier lives than you're doing today. Healthier and more prosperous. Uh, I, I, yeah, I think that's an important piece to bring in. So I'm going to bring one of the, um, I, I call it the, the wake up phrase, this, this wake up idea, this new meme that might jar people at first when they hear it, because some of the people that I've talked to have went, whoa. And yet others go, of course, of course. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this, the second statement um, here that, well, it's not the second, it's like the third in the declaration. So um, I wanna read the final part of that declaration that says, we affirm that the only legitimate purpose of governance is to protect and cultivate the health and vitality of the planet and all its inhabitants for generations to come. Can you muse with that idea with me for a little bit, Silas? Because I think that this is one of those, um, like I said, it's like a wake-up call that really the only legitimate purpose of governance, that's pretty absolute. And yet, like I said, many go, of course, you know, the indigenous people, of course, like so many people wouldn't even question that. So. What is, what is your response? What is your reaction to those words that the only legitimate purpose of governance is to protect and cultivate health and vitality? Oh, that's, that's captures it so beautifully because we realized that we, so far uh, we have been governing ourselves um, to protect the property of the people who have the most property. So, Right now, our purpose of governance is to protect the wealth of the of the rich, and so here we come along and uh, you know in the um, codes, uh, Shelley and Jan put it put it so nicely. Say, the only legitimate purpose of governance is to protect and cultivate the health and vitality of the planet and all its inhabitants for generations to come. And of course, it's self-evident. It's one of the self-evident truths, you mm. know. Just like all men are created or all humans are created equal or all beings are created equal. Okay. So all beings are created with this ability to contribute to the ecosystem. And so all beings have to be set free so that they can contribute to the health and vitality of the ecosystem. So that's the self-evident truth. Right. So, and we accepted that for the Declaration of Independence when people said all men are created equal. And now it is... um, this, to me, is another one of those self-evident truths that we have to acknowledge that will help us transition to the next phase of our existence. I love that. I, I love that. And it is a self-evident truth that is so, that is so right on. So, Silish, um, from your perspective, you're working with a couple different initiatives, working with the climate healers, starting the... Um, goal with the vegans. I love your promise to your granddaughter. 
What can you share with our listeners today mm-hmm. that you feel is some of the most important first steps on this journey? If they want to, um, I'm going to encourage them again, go to codes.earth and sign up there and get a, be a part of the, the bigger growing collective here on the planet. But from your perspective, what are the most helpful steps individuals can take as they begin to really, really embody this, the message of the codes and move forward in this more, um, it's not even, it's more than synergistic way that we're moving forward in this path together. But what, what do you recommend? I would recommend for people to start being mindful of of their uh, consumption, their actions, their impact on the planet. Um, become more mindful, and and you, it's a journey. We're all on this journey, coming home to who we are, uh, and so uh, everyone's journey is different because they are in different places in their journey. So the best that uh, we, we each of us can do is to help people in their journey when they ask for help. But otherwise, the journey is an individual journey for each one of them, each one of us, right? And so. Um, I'd say, you know, um, the, we have to organize ourselves around the, around the codes. We have to organize ourselves around implementing the codes, which is, again, an engineering project. And so that we have started. So we feel that if you truly want to implement the code, you have to have true liberation for all, for all beings. It has to be based on human, earth, animal liberation. That is H-E-A-L, heal. Mm. Yeah. So, so it has to be total liberation. That's that's what we are um, organizing around. And but at the same time, we need to be mindful of our impact as a species on this planet, because we are the only species that can measure our impact and make sure that we are within limits and all this. Right. So we can engineer that um, that what we are doing in the future um, is in harmony with the rest of life. And, uh, and that we are not using more than our due, more than uh, what we can take from the planet sustainably. Because right now we are not measuring that. Yeah, that's another important piece. I'll just drop this in now is, is the vitality code that really teaches us that um, we can be in mutual nourishment and that us using like spending that energy when you're talking about the system being broke before in the game that we were playing that that we're done with now it's like moving forward we need to understand how um all of our gifts and talents when they're serving the greater good the good of the whole um it's nourishing us and and then we nourish the whole and the whole nourishes us and all of our needs are taken care of moving forward so it really is a more healthy system um, looking forward when we're, we're talking about this new pathway or this new engineering problem that we're addressing, right? Absolutely. It's about building a compassionate civilization, a civilization in which nonviolence is normal, right? And compassion to all life is a normal part of our uh, daily actions. Because today we kill more animals in four to 12 hours than all the humans that ever died in wars throughout human history put together. That's a frenzied rate of killing that we are doing. And all of it, almost all of it is unnecessary. 
Mm-hmm. And we are doing that because we have created a game in which the corporations have to keep growing and growing and growing. So the corporations that fish have to catch more fish every year. Otherwise, they, their stockholders are going to you know, um, make them go bankrupt, right? So, so we are in this game in which we are conditioned ourselves to keep growing whatever we are doing. And in the process, we are sort of growing all the wrong things too. Right, So we're growing the number of animals we kill. We're growing the number of people who get diabetes every year. So we're growing our diseases. So this way we can give them more pharmaceuticals. So everything is about growth. And so we are making money off of death, disease, and destruction. And so the whole game has to have, we have to rethink the game. Right, So that's part of the engineering that we have to do for a compassionate civilization. But everything we need to create a compassionate civilization is here right now. You know, we, we didn't, if, if you had asked like 50 years ago, we didn't have all the tools and technologies we need to create such a civilization. Um, or even 20 years ago, we didn't. You know, I remember working on the internet back in 1995, and there was an article in Newsweek saying it's going nowhere, right? Who's gonna buy stuff off the internet? Who's gonna read things on the internet? It's going nowhere. And, but everything was there for us to create a robust internet. All the tools and technologies were there. So we put it together and then bingo, you know, everyone wanted it. <laughs> and it took <laughs> off. And the same thing is happening now. You know? We have everything we need to create this, the infrastructure for a compassionate civilization. And once we put it together, people are going to say, hey, I want that. I don't want to be where I am. So we are going to change the game. And I'm saying we are going to change the game very quickly. Um, I, I believe it in the next seven years it's going to happen because it's an exponential process. Uh, between 2014 and 2017, the number of vegans in the United States increased by a factor of seven. If you just take, keep that rate of growth going, then by 2020, it'll be another factor of seven. By 2023, a factor of 49. And by 2026, a factor of 343 which means if even 0.3% of the people were vegan in 2014, I mean 2017, 100% will be vegan by 2026. That's how fast things are changing. This is why Burger King is offering impossible whoppers. This is why Wendy's is looking at plant-based options because the demand is there. Yeah. They have no choice. If they don't have it, if they don't offer it, they're going to go bankrupt. They know that. Silas, this I, I want to continue this conversation with you and invite you back because I just love your voice and your wisdom. And it's so gentled with this really grounded sense of of spirituality and, and a real knowingness of the whole. So thank you so much. I'm thinking if you could create the internet, you can help create this very quickly and engineer this, just like you're saying. I totally trust your voice. So thank you so much for bringing this forward today. Thank you, Julie. But I'm saying it's not me. I, it's not just me. All of us are in this together. All I can yes. say is I, have, I can show you that it's been done before. Yeah, thank you. Well, yeah, it, but your brilliance shines through. So thank you so, so much. And I appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us today. And I just want to leave you with listeners with just a, a brief recap that the Codes for Healthy Earth launched globally on International Day of Peace 2019. The codes are founded on the premise that as long as there is oppression 
anywhere within the community of life, true peace cannot exist. To achieve genuine and lasting world peace, it is essential that we cultivate peace with all of life. You've been listening to The Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Remember, together, we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. 